Our new season of Aliens Explored continues as we travel back in time to 218 BC, where Titus Livius recorded the reporting of a number of what religiously inclined people were inclined to call portents. Among the many strange events listed was the report of phantom ships seen gleaming in the sky by people for whom human flight was still regarded as an impossibility. Join us on Aliens Explored as we travel back to ancient Rome. This episode is dedicated to our explorer of the week, Toby Foams. Check out our Patreon on patreon.com forward slash aliens explored to find a tier that's right for you. Aliens Explored is a weekly podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Welcome back, listeners, to Aliens Explored, your weekly podcast where we look at UAPs, UFOs, the people behind them historical events, speculative events, and all manner of other things in between and sideways of. I am one of your hosts, Stu Jackson. And I'm your other host, Neil Kelly. How are you doing, Neil? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? It's good to be back, isn't it? So this is our second episode back from our sabbatical. But of course, we had mm. uh, the amazing Lisa uh, with us last time. Uh, so we, yeah. we didn't get our usual chance to have a, a catch up because um, it has been a while. I mean, we're recording this straight on the back of that one. We just said goodbye. To of Lisa. course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously for our listeners, the, the week has mm. passed. Um, but no, I mean, at least was absolutely brilliant. But um, yeah, so we, we haven't. We haven't talked on air about um, how your holidays were, mate. Um, yeah, they were great. I mean, I worked for most of them. I had Christmas Day and Boxing Day off. Mm-hmm. I had New Year's Day, uh, no, New Year's Eve off. I was I was into work on New Year's Day with a lot of people who were very green around the gills. <laughs> it, looked like, it looked like they were about to throw up just before the curtain up. But um, you. Yeah, you work with youngsters, don't you? I think it's fair to say. I, I do work with youngsters. You know, they're right. They're, they're adults, but um, they're they're much much younger. They're forty years younger than me, so there's quite a quite an, an age gap. You know, they're younger than my children. They are. Yeah. In fact, one of them was saying she was talking about her gran and realised I'm, I'm older than her gran. 
So, yeah. <laughs> so you and decided ha- not to ask her out on a date? No, because <laughs> that, that you be, are married. That would be really creepy, wouldn't it? Gonna, yeah. It would. Well, yeah. So how, how were your holidays? You were Father um, Christmasing, weren't you? Uh, I I was uh, eventful, uh, eventful. So I had a bit of a, a health issue, sort of going into that job. I got diagnosed with mm. high blood pressure, um, and I actually had a uh, a small cardiac event uh, yeah. in the middle of the grotto on one session. <laughs> but, um, but I'm fine. I'm fine, listeners. I'm that that would have been fine. an unforgettable moment for a child, wouldn't it, if it had been <laughs> a, a, a major cardiac event? Well, do you know what? I mean, I know you and I have, have sort of joked and laughed about this with our really dark sense of humour before, um, about the Father Christmas who pretends to be asleep when the children come in to see him. <laughs> and... Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> so and then won't wake up. Days, he, he can't wake up, and uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, um, yeah, that thought did cross my mind at the time. <laughs> <It was laughs> that was going to happen to me. Shouldn't have laughed so much in the past about it. Um, but no, it, yeah, it, I mean, it, it was it was great. It was uh, it was a great job. It's great to get back, uh, mm. see actual families. Uh, just still a bit. A trepidation on my part where COVID's concerned, I've got to be honest. Um, but we've still got a thousand people a week dying of it here in the UK. It's yeah. not gone away. But you know, people just have to die with it now. That's the mm. sorry, live with it, we're told, but you know. Live with it or many, die of it. Um, many we have of actually us will just yeah. have to die with it. Um, Boris Johnson's herd immunity policy has become oh, policy, hasn't no. it? Yeah. Let's not get on about that prick. Um, mm. <laughs> but anyway, yes. Uh, so yeah, uh, and then just after that, um, had a, a nice sort of uh, week off. I've uh, then I had a significant birthday earlier in the month. Uh, got a lovely card from you. Thank you very much. Oh, you, you got it good. Uh, I know I I never mentioned that I received your card. I'm so sorry. Um, I I did mean to, um, but it did yeah, arrive. It was, it, was, it was an image that I've been saving for you. I thought, oh yeah, I still like this one. But... Yeah, it was very apropos, uh, very mm. sci-fi, um, mm. Dalek related. Yes, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I turned fifty. That was a bit of a milestone for me. Mm. Uh, more than I expected. I mean, turning 40 didn't bother me. Turning 30, no, barely a blink. But there was something about turning 50. Uh, so I went full-on middle-aged and uh, had two nights, uh, two dates in a row, uh, each with women in their 20s. Um, <laughs> proper midlife crisis. Uh, proper mm. midlife. I mean, I bought a motorbike not that long ago, Neil. <laughs> I don't know how much more midlife crisis I can get. Um, mm, I'm, a, I'm a walking girls, stereotype. Yeah, 20s, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, but I've had, I know, I've had a very pleasant time, uh, very lots of fun, and uh, and really glad to be getting back into this with you. Really glad. It's it's yeah, I've missed it. I've yeah. missed it. I mean, when we when we took our break, we didn't really know. How long of a break it was going to be, didn't we? Or if that was it, that was the end yeah, of it. We, I mean, we well, I, th- I think we both agreed. You know, that it wasn't going to be the end, but nor were we going to set a specific date as to 
when we came back. I mean, we were both, I think our, our fuel tanks were running a bit low at the time, weren't they? I think they were, yeah. Uh, but here we are, refreshed, recharged, heart attacked, and um, hmm. and midlife crisis up, ready for your listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <And> immediately this <laughs> and this one, we're going back in time, back into the mists of time. We are going back um, two thousand three hundred years, hmm. almost. Uh, back to 218 BC and Rome, uh, and yeah, this uh, this chat. Now I've been calling him Levi, which I think it's Livy. Mm. Uh, I think it's Livy as well. The one from the Bible. It's Titus Livius, and then in brackets, Livy L I V Y. I would yeah, I think that. you had the book of Levi in the Bible, and that that's where L- I got confused, yeah, I think. L- yeah. yeah. So Livy. Uh, Livy, who was a social commentator, basically. Mm. Uh, that's my understanding. Uh, does that gel with yours? Um, insofar as I have an understanding, yeah. Um. I suppose I'm, I'm going to admit to the limits of my research here, yeah, but um, yeah, well, I he, think he, a social he was certainly commentator. a writer. Um, he he wasn't from Rome originally, but he came to Rome and talked. He wrote about Rome uh, a lot, mm. and specifically in uh, what we're referring to today, he wrote Ab Urbe Condita. Uh, anybody who actually speaks Latin, apologies for my pronunciations mm. there. Um, but it translates as the history of Rome. Uh, Is there a correct, correct pronunciation for Latin? I thought no one's ever really heard it. We just make our make the best fist of it we can, don't we? We just say it as we. I, uh, it's not I'm like not English or French, sure. where you 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 know how to pronounce certain things. You just the say it as, as you soon see as you it. get talking about Latin and everything like that, my head instantly goes to that scene from Monty Python's Life of Brian. <laughs> he was called Romanus, he goes to the house. <laughs> no, it means Romans go home. No, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Conjugate the verb. Conjugate yeah, I, I can understand that, but, go. Yes. but you know, it's not a spoken language. It's no one you, you would never need... Well, actually, I think it is in... Um, I, I gather that sometimes university academics, when uh, meeting each other from different parts of the world, might find that the only language they have in common is Latin. Oh. Especially if they've had a classical education. But um, for us mere mortals, you know, we, we'd have to just use whatever we can find. I think it's a, a, a lingua franca uh, of education. Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I can imagine that there are academics, especially if they've studied the classics, um, whose knowledge of Latin is sufficient to have um, a, a, an in-depth conversation. I don't believe that, for instance, um, our former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who likes to say things in Latin, I, I think what he does is the extent of his Latin. He can occasionally think of some non-secateur to come up with a bit, a bit like, bit like Del Boy in, in um, 
in Only Fools and Horses with his French, you know, who just suddenly Monge sings two. some song. Mons yeah. 2, Rodney, Mons 2, Apre moi le deluge. You know, that, that's how, I think that's how Boris Johnson uses Latin and, and um, his, his, his admirer's um, remark on how clever he is. What a clever man. But uh, um, He uses it to be a sanctimonious elitist prick, to be honest. Yeah. But, um, that's about which the top is the, bottom which of is that. The, the best use of Latin. I think it's the only use of Latin. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's not, it's a dead language. And... I think also, um, I mean, one of the things that came out when when the Bible was first translated into English by, what was his name, John, it was in the time of Henry VIII. Oh, it's been translated and retranslated. and Yeah, but this was a guy who trans- translated it into, into English, an, an accessible version, and he found that a lot of the, um, the Latin... Had been or would have been translated into Latin. What you know, they 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 had had some very loose translations of things mm. to their advantage. Um, That's always happened with the Bible. But do you know what? We've yeah. done our usual thing straight in second episode back after a break, and we've gone on back this into... massive tangent. <laughs> yeah, because we're talking about something that was written in Latin by a Roman and. Um, Yes, and yeah, and yeah. How do, that's that? I think that's the first question you have to ask when you say, "Well, this according to this text, it was written in Latin." It talks about um, phantom ships had been seen gleaming in the sky. Well, yes. yeah. So, w- what were his exact words? How was that exactly translated? I can tell you, he said. So, yeah, you, you're absolutely right, and and. This is this is what we're here to talk about. So, listen, poor listeners have been putting up mm. with this. We haven't even told mm. them why we're here. Um, so, yes, Levi wrote in this Ab Urbe Condita, the history of Rome, mm. um, that about phantom ships had been seen gleaming in the sky. Word mm. perfect there, Neil. Um, or has he put it, Vanadium Specium Decalo? Actual Cisse. Yeah, and um, <laughs> my Latin is such a... But phantom take, ships gleaming in the sky. I mean, what what more accurate UFO description can you possibly get? Well, in his History of Rome, Book 21, Chapter 6.2, I mean, the, the text that it comes from, Live 2162, um... Not 60, 6.2, 62. Um, it prefaces it by saying, in Rome or near it, many prodigies occurred that winter, or as often happens when men's thoughts are once turned upon religion, many were reported and too easily credited. And then it gives a whole list of, of portents, um, yep. of which phantom ships gleaming in the sky was just one. And that, that's what he means by prodigies, is, um, yeah, portents or signs being seen of, you know, either Unclaimed, calamity yeah. coming or a good harvest or things like that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, he, he lists out um, a load of weird shit that's been seen. Was it, was it a Blackadder or a Monty Python where they're, they're accusing someone of witchcraft? and uh, She turned me into a newt. And they all look at him. He said, well, I got better. 
Yeah. And uh, I was trying to think, what's it? All these portents in it. And in Dorchester, it rained phlegm. And it was all these, all these yes. things that people have just made up, you know. Um, well, um, so I'm, I'm going to ask the question, like, because phantom ships gleaming in the sky mm. sounds so much like a UFO that we would recognise today as a UFO. Well, not if it was I, a ship with sails and oars like that. They would recognise a ship. Well, I'm guessing think, oh, not. A, but a phantom ship, a funny shaped cloud, gleaming, an, an, an object like like uh, Lisa saw. There's a light that couldn't that we couldn't explain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's some kind of UAP, or that someone just claimed that they saw it. Well, um, this is the this is the crux of the argument uh, against because yeah, Livy um, is calling the credibility of these witnesses into question by the way he puts it. Mm, yeah, but but isn't that really? an analogy for modern day UFO sightings, you know, people say, Oh yeah, I saw UFO. <laughs> yeah. You must've imagined it. And that's it. They get dismissed so easily because people can't or, or don't want to accept that there are things beyond understanding. Why would Livy be any different? Um, uh, but also that there are people making wild, outlandish claims who, who, who are the, they're off their rockers. You know, they're, they're talking, they're, they're babbling, they're insane. And, um, you know, they have to be filtered out. You know, they're... some of the portents were that a freeborn infant of six months had cried triumph in the provision market that in the cattle market an ox had climbed of its own accord to the third story of a house and then, alarmed by the outcry of the occupants, had thrown itself down. Then phantom ships, that the Temple of Hope in the provision market had been struck by lightning. Okay, that could happen. Yeah. That in yeah. Lanuvium a slain victim had stirred. Okay, not as dead as they thought. And a raven had flown down into Juno's temple and alighted on her very couch. Yeah, that can happen. That in the yeah. district of... Amiternum, in many places, apparitions of men in shining raiment had appeared in the distance, but had not drawn near to anyone. Okay. A shower of pebbles. Yes, that happens. Uh, a wolf had snatched a sentry's sword from its scabbard and run off with it. Yeah, I can believe that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but these are all seen as... And, and you know, they're, they are given equal weight to the... The phantom ships in the sky. Well, and and that's it. So there is a long list of things that are perfectly reasonable and rational. So is mm. is it the point then that he is calling the them being portents into question rather than their possibility? I mean, the thing with portents is it doesn't have to actually be something supernatural does it that if, if someone's in the right frame of mind and they've been told to look out for a sign that something's going to happen if they see a bird drop dead out of the sky they think that's it that's the sign you know that's it's yep. not it's not we a common see, sign 
But people you know, count magpies. There's nothing. Sorry, and that's people count magpies. That's yeah. por- that's important. You know, one for sorrow, yeah. two for joy, and all that. That's portents. Um, mm. If if somebody breaks two things, they'll find a matchstick and break it in half because you break things in threes. That could be argued as being a portent. Breaking two mm. things is a sign that you're going to break a third. And there's also, I mean, I've heard the way that a satanic curse can work. If you curse someone, they'll laugh it off. You'll say, yeah, your, your life's going to be a disaster from now on because I've cursed you. They'll just laugh it off. And then suddenly they'll they'll have an accident, which you know, it might be a minor thing or it might be a near miss that on any other day they will have just dismissed. They'd have forgotten about. But they suddenly remember the curse. And even though they don't believe it, and they spend all the time talking, no, it's nothing to do with that, and it's nothing to do with the curse, nothing to do. And the more they convince, try and convince themselves it's nothing to do with the curse, the more they think about it. And then something else happens. You know, a mirror yeah. falls off the wall, or they, they they walk under a ladder and someone drops a can of paint on them. They're all, all these, or their car gets dead. Every little thing that happens, they suddenly think, "Oh shit, it's the curse." And yeah, they 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 convince themselves of it because they're in that state of mind where they're they they've been set, even though they don't believe it, um, they've been set up to expect something, and when something happens. There was the more they the more effort they put into trying to dismiss it as it's just one of those things. It's nothing to do with this curse that was put on me. The more they kind of talk themselves into it. If mm. you kind of get where I'm going with this, I do absolutely. Well, um, a lot has been theorised that that's exactly the way that voodoo curses work. Yeah, um, is it's you know it's psychosomatic responsive essentially. Mm. Um, what they can't do is explain when the voodoo curse works and the victim was unaware that the curse had been placed. That's where it gets a bit more complicated. Hmm. But, uh, but yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, I'm, I'm so even taking that perspective into account that he was, um, being a bit condescending basically as, Oh, mm. well, yes, people are claiming these things and claiming their portents, but you know, nobody's challenging them on it. Um, that doesn't mean to say it's not happened. Doesn't mean to say it's not happened. No, you must have heard of the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. We're going very Monty Python in this episode, aren't we? <laughs> we are very much so. Did you know that it still exists? That, I, um, yes, I've that heard this. It, yeah, it, it's um, it's a very small office. It's much reduced. Um, they they tend not to arrest people, interrogate them, or kill them. Um, But I think it's basically down to one guy, a priest, whose job it is, whenever someone reports a miracle in the the Catholic world, he has to go and verify it. And I I can imagine someone could could make a good comedy about this. He's just got back from the Philippines where someone had reported a sighting of the Virgin Mary, and then he's only just got home. He's hardly unpacked. So sorry, you, you've got to go to Brazil, mate, out to the back of beyond where, um, you know, a, a crucifix has started bleeding. Oh, for fuck's sake. You know, it's just never, never any rest. Um, he's just always traveling around the world, following, trying to follow up these, you know, claims by very, very superstitious people living in the back of beyond. And he's got to go out there and oh, really, and try, try and work out if there's some kind of trick to it or, 
or whatever. Yeah, he's uh, he's I been think... doing he's been doing the job for thirty years, and he's never actually seen a miracle. But uh, he I... still believes it. He's still got to believe it because he's a Catholic mm. priest. Yeah. I think if you want the comedy, you go from the um, the the crucifix that's bleeding to and now you have to go to Warsaw because someone's found a cornflake that looks like the face of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was fornicating out of wedlock with a harlot, and when I went to change the sheets, I saw that um, the bloodied stain had formed a perfect image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Called the Vatican. And yes. no driver stake um, through my heart for being the evil one. There's also um, things that once someone reports something, people will claim to have seen it. There's a famous story about the Angel of Mons. Um, it was a battle in the beginning of the First World War in Belgium, 1914. And um, a Welsh journalist was out there, and, and he was kind of filled with patriotic fervour. And he wrote this story about ancient knights, 12th century knights. Um, the, the ghosts of knights appeared and fought alongside the British soldiers and drove back the Germans and from there you know, halted their advance and um he just made it up but when he got back to england people were always coming up to him saying oh yes my son was at mons and he saw that he saw the ghosts coming to fight alongside them um and he's <laughs> no, I just made this shit up you know <laughs> yeah. um, but you know as a kid um obviously we were all very groomed towards being future soldiers they were, were being being groomed to take part in the next battle of the somme or arnhem or whatever bloody turning point in history they're going to send us out to and we get these war comics and i remember one of the stories was about the angel of mons and it was you know they reported it as if it was true this these ghosts coming to fight alongside british soldiers um so bringing this background to our report from livy mm. um so it it's it, it's not even so it is often described this as mm. livy reports that phantom ships yeah. were seen gleaming in the sky. No, Livia has reported that other people reported they saw yes. phantom ships gleaming in the sky, just to be more yeah. accurate. Yeah, all right, he's he's a bit um, uh, dismissive of it, perhaps. But do you think mm. there's any benefit in looking into this as a, an actual UFO case, then? Um... I mean, how much how much material have we got to work with? I mean, if we've just got this this literally by Libby, this reference, um, that's, and that, it. that's, that's it. That's the only so place this we can comes say up. Someone claims they saw something. They they might have seen something. They might have seen an odd shape. They might have seen a, some sort of aerial phenomenon, um, and decided that that's what it it was. Maybe been a bit alarmed by it. Something gleaming in the sky, but it wouldn't have been anything man-made in the sky in those days, apart from a beam of light. Yeah. Mm. Or even even a beam of light wouldn't because that was fire, didn't they? They had candles and and fire. They had no uh, means of projecting think they a beam. Had lenses, telescopes back then. Could they project a beam like a torch beam? Theoretically, um, not for any real distance like we can do now. But no, um, it's potentially, but we're talking. I mean, it's almost like quite a specific description phantom ships gleaming in the sky. Mm. Um, no, it's obviously seen. I mean, to me, it's obvious that this this person has reported 
seeing a non-terrestrial craft. He's saying it's a ship. Oh, it's not. He's not saying I saw a weird shaped cloud. He's not saying I saw some light that I didn't recognise. He's saying I saw a ship gleaming something... in the sky. Now that that screams to me metallic craft. That screams to me sky. trick of the lights. The the the. The sun behind the cloud creating a certain effect, or well, sadly, we can't go back and ask Livy no. <laughs> what his source I mean, was for this. <laughs> no, but or can know, we? Well, the idea—I mean, the idea of ships in the sky. I mean, where did that come from? If they, if they hadn't seen anything like that. Yeah, you know, if they if they these are people who had never considered that human flight was possible in any any way, shape, or form, um, where would they get the idea of seeing a, a phantom ship in the sky? Well, that's they'd where seen it gets something really that they couldn't explain. Because most ancient religions will talk about celestial beings coming down in strange craft, chariots of fire, um, on burning shields. Hmm. Um, you know, this, like, across across pretty much every ancient religion talks about these celestial beings coming down in this manner. I mean, so... But you say, where would you shields, get the idea the... from? It, it wouldn't be an uncommon idea. I mean, burning shields could be a meteorite shower, couldn't it? They just see these things flitting across the yeah, sky. But they're talking about the these celestial beings, these angelic beings, arriving on them. Mm. Well, yeah, they're getting um, a poetic license. <laughs> they've seen a light in the sky. And also, yeah, these people wouldn't have known how vast the sky was, would they? They wouldn't have had any concept of light years or... The kinds of distances no. that stars might be away, they would have seen them as fairy lights in the in the sky. I think when um, no. when, when people first took flight, when um, the Montgolfier brothers first sent up a balloon with people in it, they were worried that it was going to disturb heaven, that mm. <laughs> that God was actually just up there in the clouds. Um, well, so they that's had to think it. Of a, and then when obviously when they came down again, said no, there's nothing up there. Um, they had to think of a new place where heaven might be. Well, this is the um, kind of the point I make. Is, is you said like, where would he get the idea that? And we're mm. assuming it was a he um, who, who's reported these uh, phantom ships. Where would they get the idea of them? Um, you know, because people didn't have the power of flight. Well, no, mm. it, in te- they would only have to look at their religion for where people would get the idea for that. But there we go. Any uh, any final thoughts or conclusions on Livy's report? There is it one you just dismiss completely? No, I think I think Livy's been very um, Titus Livius has been very very thorough in his documenting of what has been reported. Um, he he's just made a list, hasn't he? He's not elaborating on them in in any kinds of way. 
That in, and it's, it's, in fact, they're not even separate sentences. Are they just delineated by commas? Mm. And then this, and then that, and then this, and then that. Yes, um, he, he's made a, but he's made a, a list of things to be scorned. Uh, so he's certainly not doing it from an unbiased perspective. No. Maybe he's part no. of the establishment trying to keep us down and uh, keep these things quiet, mate. There is that. You know, I, I can imagine. Um, just just like we today, that, they, that, that, that a conspiracy theory could take hold mm. and create a movement and create dissent based on, you know, some, some religious, in those days it would have been a religious kind of difference. Um, what, do you know mm. when this was written? Uh, yes, two hundred and eighteen BC. Oh, two hundred eighteen BC. So it's it's too early for the Romans to be worried about Christians, isn't that? Uh, yes. The th- yeah. Yes. They're, they're not worried about that threat, but I can imagine there were all sorts of other, you know, religious religious fanatics who who would who could start a movement who could tell you that. Um, you know, the emperor is actually a lizard, but he's, yeah. he's not human. <laughs> well, I for one, I think, I think in the absence of any other details, I, I take the report as read. I mean, it's there listed with other relatively mundane things that, that no doubt did happen. Um, yeah, well, all right. It, it might not have been the portent, but... Mm. Um, I don't see that as a reason to rule out whether or not it actually happened. But what do you think, listeners? Uh, did Livy uh, was he right uh, to be scornful and uh, dismissive of such claims? Uh, as as is Neil right or am I right? Um, who's right or is it something else? Absolutely, completely. I had no idea where I was going with that. Neil, did it show? <laughs> <laughs> You just started a sentence with no idea how you how you were going to end it. Never do that on this show. <clears throat> anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so, uh, do let us know what you think about this interesting bit of history uh, via the usual means. You can contact us through Facebook or through Twitter by searching "Aliens Explored." You can. Uh, Get in touch by emailing us, aliensexplored at gmail.com. Or if you join our Discord channel, which I never mentioned last week, Neil, um, then you get access to our exclusive Discord server where you can discuss this and other subjects with like-minded people. Uh, Go to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash aliensexplored to have a look at the tiers and find one that suits you. Um, Oh, I'll tell you what will suit you, Neil. You like your rock and roll, don't you? I do. Well, next week we are going to be talking about the pop sensation that is Blink-182 and specifically the uh, member of the band Tom DeLonge who helped form To The Stars Academy and uh, their connection with UFOs. So you don't want to miss that one. We don't. No, rock and roll and, and spaceships. Yeah. Absolutely. You've got my my attention. (laughs) Uh, In the meantime, keep looking at those ancient 
reports for any signs of UFOs and of course keep watching the skies. Take care for now. Taxis later. See you in the next one. Bye bye. Bye. Aliens Explored is a Fiegel Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit aliensexplored.com. <laughs>